You're listening to the Enhance Your Practice podcast series, brought to you by ASPS University. I'm ASPS University Chair, Dr. Nicholas Panetta, and I invite you to check out all of our educational offerings, from professional surgical videos, courses on practice management, and much, much more at ASPS EdNet. Hello, listener. Welcome to another episode of Enhance Your Practice, the ASPS podcast. We're joined today by Dr. Scott Hollenbeck and Dr. Doug Steinbreck, who are both going to be discussing the topic of ergonomics. Dr. Hollenbeck is an academic practice at Duke University in North Carolina, where his practice includes microsurgery. And Dr. Steinbreck is in private practice in New York City, with a practice primarily focused on aesthetic surgery. Um, Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks, Ash. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Ash. It's good to be here. I really enjoy your programs, and it's just really, it's an honor for me to be here today. Thanks so much. So, Scott, first of all, for the listeners, can you explain what ergonomics is as it relates to plastic surgery and why we should be paying attention to it? Sure. Ergonomics is a a well-known term. Typically, we think of it in terms of uh, unusually shaped uh, devices that you might use in the kitchen or unusual looking bicycles that you might ride. But as it pertains to surgery, uh, really, it's the way in which you interact with your work environment. So that could be instruments that you might use in the OR, but more commonly refers to the way in which you approach the patient and position your body to do the surgery. Does this represent a big problem? Uh, we Do we have issues um, over our careers where bad ergonomics can have an impact? The, the answer to that is a definite yes. And it's funny because for, for many years, this was kind of like a dirty secret and nobody really talked about it. Uh, in fact, you were, you were viewed weak if you were to complain about uh, pain and soreness and, and being tired. Uh, but really, over the years, due to some uh, research studies and data, it's been shown that actually a very high number of surgeons, including plastic surgeons, uh, experience musculoskeletal injury. So it really is a problem that uh, over the last five years, we've developed a, a great awareness of. And I think now we're in the phase where we're trying to actually uh, do some interventions and figure out a way to take care of our bodies better. As I understand it, plastic surgeons can get problems with their neck, their back shoulders, even their hands and legs. Did you have any personal experience of having any problems like this? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And uh, the answer is yes. And in fact, if you talk to people at meetings and talk to some of your friends, an alarmingly high number of individuals have experienced uh, most commonly back and neck problems. In fact, a large number of surgeons have even had spinal fusions, which is an alarming uh, a reality. But Uh, is something that we face. In my particular instance, uh, I started having some numbness and tingling in my left hand. And originally, I thought maybe it was the way I was sleeping, perhaps a a carpal tunnel issue. Uh, But it also began to be associated with some pain along the left side of my shoulder in the back part of my my scapula area. And it became clear to me that this was more than just uh, a peripheral issue, but was rather uh, related more to my posture and uh, a concern about even a herniated disc. Uh, Fortunately for me, I was uh, able to do some modification to my OR positioning and also able to do some stretches and my symptoms went away. 
having said that, I don't know if I was on the verge of having a ruptured disc or if I had a ruptured disc and it got better. Uh, but uh, thank goodness at this point in time, I, I've been uh, without symptoms for about a year. So Scott, that's um, that's worrying. You're uh, still a young guy with many, many, <laughs> many, many years ahead of you in your career, though. And to have had some kind of problem like that uh, already uh, kind of tells us that we we really um, need to think about ergonomics and how we prevent these kind of injuries, I think, early in our career. Do you have any advice for some of our younger listeners, people who are residents or, or fellows or just getting into practice? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting that you point that out and my age. I'm actually 47 at, at the current time. I began having symptoms when I was 45. And if you look at the literature, in fact, that is the most common age in which surgeons have problems with their back and neck. And it's probably related to the fact that this is one of the busiest times in our career. We've started out uh, finishing residency. We uh, ramp up our practice. And by the time we hit our 40s, we're, we're very busy doing complex cases and really sort of hitting our peak. And that, in fact, is the time when, when we're at most risk. So uh, for me, the strategies that I found that were helpful were, number one, be aware of my positioning in the OR. And it really boils down to awareness. Also, be aware of others' position in the OR. So if I have the microscope set up, for example, in a, a favorable position for me, I also need to make sure that it's a favorable position for my colleague helping me. And one of the ways we've improved on that is by getting modification to our eyepieces on the microscope, which allow it to stretch out longer. So we no longer need to bend over to see into the microscope. That's been very helpful. We also try to sit down whenever possible. But sitting down in a slouch position is not a good thing. We need to be sitting down in an uh, upright ergonomic position. Uh, additionally, I've been uh, more focused on my footwear. Uh, I also am an advocate for compression stockings, uh, which I believe help uh, at least my experience and, and many others. Also, I'm aware of things that I put on my head. So, for example, a headlight. Uh, fortunately, many of the common headlights now have, have gotten better. They're lighter, uh, but that is an additional weight on your head. And also loops are another big issue. Uh, and so I try to minimize the amount of time that I wear loops during my dissections. Uh, in terms of when I actually do the surgery, I have not really discovered any great way to improve the, the positioning required for some of the difficult dissections. Uh, but I try to minimize the amount of time I keep my body fixed in a in a unfavorable position. And also, probably the most important thing for me is I actually approach surgery like I would a sporting event. Uh, for example, if I'm going out to play tennis or basketball, I wouldn't just simply walk out onto the court and start playing. I would definitely do some stretching ahead of time. And I would also do some stretching afterwards. And I treat surgery the same way. So beforehand, I often will stretch out my entire body uh, as they're prepping the patient or getting the patient put to sleep. And then also during the surgery, I'm sure to take breaks and do some additional stretching. And mainly, uh, this is postural muscles that I'm trying to activate, bringing my shoulders back and my body in a more upright position. And then after surgery, instead of running out and getting a cup of coffee and going to my office and doing emails, I try to take at least four or five minutes to, again, stretch and uh, get those muscles lengthened out. And that, to me, has been the most helpful thing that I've done. Those sound like really good practical uh, tips that our listeners can put into action without any other uh, 
additional equipment. So Doug, we just heard from Scott about his personal experience getting some some neck pain related to the types of procedures that he does and, and uh, probably uh, stretching his neck and bending his neck. Can you share your story, uh, the musculoskeletal problem you had uh, with our listeners? Yeah, I can tell you. These things can kind of happen from a variety of ways. For me, the what happened is uh, I got a, I had a problem with my back, and it happened last year. My my guys did some work on my house, and so they rebuilt the house in Long Island. All I wanted, I was going to have a four foot basement, right, for the one of the out outhouses. And the guys, I said, you know what. I want an eight foot basement because I just want to have more storage. Or if I'm ever in the doghouse, I want some place to live. So I did my builder's liposuction, his girlfriend, and um, to get that gosh dang eight foot basement. And so one night last April, it was over a year ago now, two years ago, it was two years ago now, I went out around and it was late in the day and I didn't want to fall into the, the pool. So I, I went around the other way. And I accidentally fell eight feet into the in, into the basement of that new foundation that they did. It fell on the on the concrete. I got an L two compression fracture, an ACL, an MCL, a PCL with a medial meniscus tear, and I, I was in pain. I had a pretty bad injury from that. But what happened is um, I went to uh, I went to really fantastic. Uh, the guys next door. John and David, uh, the New York um, rehab guys, they uh, nursed me back to life. Those guys have been amazing. And then I had a really good uh, back surgeon from NYU, Dr. Bendo, and from Columbia, uh, Dr. Ahmad, who obviously already had built his house because he didn't need to operate on me. So that that uh, they both nursed me back to health. And unbelievably, I didn't need to have um, any, uh, anything done to that knee and I didn't need to have surgery for my back. And now I can't, I actually can't remember which side it was, but what I learned from that is that you have to be really careful with surgery. Most of my surgery that I do, even as a plastic surgeon is I do it sitting down. And I learned that from Dan Baker. I mean, do these guys, Dan Baker is, is legendary. He and Cheryl Aston, legendary plastic surgeons, aesthetic plastic surgeons in New York. And one of the things I learned from Dr. Baker, and this guy, this guy ain't lazy. This guy is one of the hardest working guys um, that I've ever seen along with Dr. Aston. Uh, but he sits during a lot of his surgery for during his facelifts and, and during uh, a lot of other surgeries. And the reason is, is it's not because he's lazy. It's because he knows that that's how he can get all the way in there that's how he can get the best angle. That's how he can have the best visualization of the tissues. But also, he knows that he operates a lot. These 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 guys operate a lot. And so he knows that if he's going to conserve wear and tear on his back, uh, he's going to sit up straight, he's going to have his neck back, and he's going to be in a sitting position. So I've actually borrowed a lot of that from Dr. Ass and, and Dr. Baker, and I would recommend from them, I would recommend a lot of the younger surgeons out there. Don't be afraid. You know, you do general surgery. I did my general surgery down at NYU. Everyone stood up and we all did long hours standing. If, you, if you're in your private clinic or even in your public hospital and you can get in a position, which means sometimes sitting down, a comfortable position for your back, that's going to be a good thing. 
Um, the other thing I learned is, uh, and I even see it with some of the residents, you know, really great residents, outstanding, outstanding training programs from all over the world. They come in and they're, they're bent over their neck and their head is, uh, is bent over and they're going to have neck pain. If they do that for the entire day or their entire career, they're going to have problems. They may even have some degenerative changes. We had one at NYU. We had one attending that we called the head. The head. Hey, are you going to operate with the head? Are you working with the head today? <laughs> and and people didn't like it because, you know, you couldn't get in. You couldn't see anything. You, you go in there and he has his head right there in the middle of the pancreas. But that's, you know, it wasn't just bad that the residents couldn't see what was going on. It was also, I'm sure, uh, over his career. And he's a young guy. He was a young guy back then. I'm sure over his career, he's going to have problems with his neck and his back by assuming that posture. So, Immediately with the junior residents, uh, you know, I say, hey, get your back straight, get your neck straight. We will raise the table if we have to raise the table for you. We will do that, but we need to have you be in, get in the habits of being in a comfortable position because this is a marathon, my friend. Uh, the other thing that we'll do is really before you go in there, have a good stretch, you know. It's like Scott was saying before, this is like going into battle. This is like starting an athletic event. So make sure that you stretch out uh, before you scrub in. Another thing I do is I'm always cognizant of uh, the other people I operate with. So my scrub assistant, I want to make sure if she has to, Diana, she's beautiful, Diana, Carla. Hey, guys, they are everything to me. I love them. And uh, I make sure because Carla, she does some heavy lifting. She does. Um, some good retractions for, for some of our big 270 torso tuck body lifts for the men. I, do, I specialize mostly in men's aesthetic plastic surgery. So we do. We have some big boys on the table. We're doing some 270 degree, 360 circumferential torso tuck body lifts. And my assistant is, is she's cranking back on some of those retractors. So I make sure that she is also in a comfortable position. And it's not just a table. You can raise your chair, lower your table, raise the table. Everyone can be in a comfortable position. So please make sure that your assistants are in a comfortable position. The other thing I found is that um, I had another injury. So as soon as I get, got my back sorted out, I got my knees sorted out, I found out that I had a, a problem with my shoulder. So I realized that I wanted to be efficient and I was going to be efficient. A lot of what I do is body banking. We take out, do a form. Of, it's like a form of liposuction, but old fashioned liposuction, take out the fat and throw it on the, on the floor. I, I take that, I re-inject it. I put it into men's shoulders and then to their traps and to the biceps all over the place into the glutes. Um, but while I'm doing all that liposuction, I'm using big cannulas I was going to be efficient. So to save five seconds from crossing around to the other side of the table, I'm saving a whole five seconds. For the last 15 years of my career, I've been doing cross-table lipo, which means not doing it ergonomically correct. When you do liposuction, what you want to do is you want to keep that shoulder down and you want to keep that elbow in close to your body. Um, and that relieves a lot of the stress to your shoulders, to the tendons, to the ligaments, to the bones and muscles of your shoulders. And to save that five seconds it would take to walk across to the other side of the table, I was doing what we call cross-table liposuction, which means 
you pretend like you're on the other side, you reach across the patient, you get that shoulder up, that elbow out, and you're pointing the, the tip of the cannula right back at you like you're going to stab yourself in the chest. The problem with that is it did a lot of undue stress and it basically created a pretty bad rotator cuff. But what I did is I went right back to the same boys, John and David next door, and they did amazing uh, work here at 56th Street in New York. And they helped me uh, They helped me get back in line. And now I can't really tell. I know it's my left hand because obviously I'm left-handed. But really, I can't tell which shoulder was uh, was the problem shoulder. So that was a good thing. And the other thing I noticed is, uh, and this is advice for everybody, is that you got to stay in shape. I know. I tell all my patients after surgery... I say, hey, people, we need to heal up here. So we don't want any fluid collections. We don't want any of the incisions to open up. And so what, what I do is I have them all take lots of carbs. We all put everybody on a gainer postoperatively so that they heal down everything because I really find the nutrition is 90% of postoperative healing. I really honestly think it's even more important than the antibiotics. So I was following my own advice to heal up my back. To heal up my my shoulder, I I put on probably five times. You know, I'm 5'11", 165, but I think I got up to 180. And I noticed one day when I was getting on the cab on Park, 56th Street, that, you know, I used to use my core energy and I used to just like grab that briefcase, put one foot out of that cab and core energy, momentum, get right out there. I got out one day, I'm trying to get out of that dang cab and I didn't make it. I had to like do the do the twosies. I had to like sort of lean back and give it another shot to throw my weight forward. And that day I realized I'm not going to be that old man with the big gut. That is not going to be me. I was all repaired. So I got back to the gym. I lost that weight. I'm back down to 167. And now I do not have to do the roly polies to get out of the cab. So you got to be fit. You got to go to the gym. Um, I was having problems because I want to get home and see my kid. So I had to switch gyms and sounds crazy and creepy, but I had switched to one of those 24 hour gyms so that I could get the gym at four, four thirty, So I could get start time at five thirty. but that's what it takes, man. And that's what you got to do if you want to have a decent, uh, a decent career. And if you want to be healthy, uh, for, for that long period of time. This is Jeff Janis, co-chair of the Wellness Task Force for ASPS. And first and foremost, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. The reason that this was incepted is to be real about wellness. And I hope that is what you're finding in this podcast here today. If you're interested in more resources about this subject and many others about the wellness topic, please visit plasticsurgery.org backslash wellness. And now on to our podcast. So, Doug, you, you mentioned exercise and being physically fit to do surgery and the, the, the battle that we face every day when we're doing these cases. Uh, are there specific exercises that you think are helpful? Yeah, I have very specific uh, things to help. Um, I do work out two or three times a week. And if I can't during the week, I do it on the weekend. I have a trainer that I see uh, once a week just because he'll give me the homework that I need to do for the rest of the week. I don't have a trainer three times a week because my schedule is all over the place. Uh, so, um, but uh, I do a lot of stretching 
I do a lot of strength for upper body and legs, um, a lot of range of movement. And I like to use uh, free weights, but if I don't have time, uh, and particularly if I don't have someone to spot me, just to get it done, I will do, I'll do the machines. The other thing I do is, uh, is you get your family involved. My son is now in third grade and uh, he's strong enough to spot me. He is, and, and it's fun to do. So I get my family involved. So we have a little gym in the house and my son uh, works out with me. So it's, a, so it's a family endeavor and it's family activity. You, even, you don't need a gym in your house. Even you can exercise with your family on the weekends and get them involved. You don't have to leave your family to go to the gym. So that's another thing. But all this is going to give, I believe, it's going to give me stronger, not just stronger muscles, but stronger ligaments, uh, stronger tendons, and also stronger bones. Because, you know, all the, as, as physicians, we all know, uh, the weight-bearing exercises help with uh, bone structure and more calcium retention. So I think uh, exercise is a big part of, and like I talked about before, like Dr. Asenman, this guy, he still goes to the gym. He's one of the fittest um, plastic surgeons I've ever seen in my life. So um, I'm following his example and I'm trying to stay as, uh, as fit to be able to, um, to stay in shape for the surgery that we do. Scott, do you have any other um, tips or advice for the listeners about how to uh, uh, improve their ergonomics, prevent themselves from getting injured? Uh, yeah, actually, I do have some further suggestions. And probably the most important thing is to look at ergonomics not as a single entity of you interacting with the OR, but look at it as more the way in which you interact with your your life. Because I think a lot of these things come into play. For example, if you are running late in the morning, you are more likely to not stretch or you are more likely to be rushed and you're more likely to have chaos going on and not know exactly what you're doing. If you're not prepared with uh, meals, for example, you, you may be running around trying to get something to eat or you may be operating uh, and becoming dehydrated. All of these things can be uh, better approached by actually preparing in, in the morning or even the night before. So that's one thing I've found to be extremely helpful is to make my own uh, lunch and, and snacks for the next day. And, and I've tried to be sure to drink a lot more water than I used to. Uh, I used to think that part of surgery was to become extremely dehydrated by the end of the day and that that was normal. What I found out is that's not good for you and it didn't make me feel good. So instead, I try to drink two to three liters of water a day. And, and try to eat multiple small meals throughout the day and, and not, not come home extremely hungry and extremely dehydrated, uh, which I found leads to some bad habits, which then makes me sleep poorly, which then makes me want to not get up in the morning, which then makes me run late, which then sets off a whole day of bad events and bad ergonomics. So I think a lot of this starts with with how you shape your life and trying to be more organized. So those are really the the final tips I think I have in order to try to improve your your fitness. But I totally agree with everything Doug said about keeping your body in shape. This is the most important thing we have is your body and your health. And you can't help patients. You can't earn a living if, if you're not in shape and if you're uh, constantly sore, constantly getting hurt. So I hope that's been helpful. And, and really thank you for having me on the panel today, Ash.
Doug, do you have any uh, other advice for particularly our younger uh, listeners, the, the, the residents, fellows, uh, early career surgeons in terms of protecting themselves for the future? Yeah, I've got some advice for the residents and the fellows and people early in their careers. You got to protect yourself for the future. And what I do, I'm really into atomic habits now. And you, you would think atomic habits means explosive ideas like a nuclear bomb. They don't. They're actually the reverse. Atomic habits are the whole idea uh, this, uh, is that you're doing changes in your habits that are the size of an atom. They're teeny tiny ones. And one of the things you would do, they're at an atomic level. And one of the things like uh, that you do is like habit stacking. So what habit stacking is, I'm always trying to get my patients, this is an example. I'm always trying to get my patients to use some kind of cleanser or some kind of uh, moisturizer in the morning. And the guys are really bad. So I tell them, hey, take this moisturizer and you're going to put it in between your toothbrush and your deodorant. So before you leave work, you know you're going to brush your teeth and you know you're going to you're going to put that stuff underneath your arms. So that's where you put the moisturizer. That's habit stacking. And so I do the same thing when I'm when I know I have to go to the gym uh, early morning. I'm going to put my gym bag by the door so I can't get out the door out of the door without uh, grabbing my gym bag. That's an example. So you want to do atomic habits to make sure uh, that you actually go to the gym. And that's one of the things you can do. Other habits that I have for for young listeners is really nutrition. You know, just be good to your body. And I know surgeons do it all the time. What they do is they end up um, just eating uh, bad food. But if you want to, if you want to be really good and have a healthy, healthy life, because this is a marathon, try and uh, pack healthy foods and don't just get the fast food that your assistant. I always have my assistant orders all my food. I don't even want to have to decide what I want. It's just on my desk at one o'clock. Thank you, Abe. I love you, buddy. You're the best um, assistant. He's really amazing. Uh, but what I do is I have Abe at one o'clock have healthy food and uh, really good stuff and always something green every day at one o'clock. And that's my habit for him. Well, Doug, I want to uh, thank you for sharing your experiences and and this uh, great advice uh, for our listeners. Uh, you know, maybe I, I better go and uh, start working out right now. Ash, you look pretty buff to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think uh, I think you're I think you're in good shape. Listen, I want to thank you for having me on the podcast. This is such informational stuff, and I want to thank you for getting it out for all of us, because we need good information like this. Keep it coming. If anybody's out there and they want to follow me, please follow me at um, Male Plastic Surgery uh, on Instagram. That's my gig. Or you can follow me at Dr. Steinberg on Instagram. And please DM me. I love making new friends and I love meeting new people. So please DM me. I look forward to talking to you. Yeah, thanks for uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us. Thanks, Ash. Thank you. Join us on the next episode of Enhance Your Practice, where we'll be talking with Dr. Michael Bentz about relationships in and out of the office.